What happens when you combine the most innovative, eccentric and charismatic leaders, disruptors and founders from tech with the pedigree and history of one of the most established institutions within the City of London? Season four of the Searching for Mana podcast will be produced in partnership with the London Stock Exchange and will represent one of the most exciting collaborations in the tech space. Dan Roberts, welcome on to Searching for Mana. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me. So, <laughs> yep. been invited over to Vegas. Uh, anybody who's not watching the video, we're sat in a very luxurious um, suite in the Mandalay Bay at yep. the uh, ITC conference where Dan and Names have a presence this week. Um, so, thanks so much for allowing us to film the Searching for Mana podcast. You're welcome. Welcome to my abode. It's a very nice abode. Not, not so great coffee, but <laughs> I'll take what I'm given this morning. Dan, if you could introduce to the audience, really in some type of elevator, um, what, what names are, what they do. Sure. So, Names is building a digital insurance marketplace. Uh, we use Web3 technology to bring the transfer of value and information into one environment. So we're uh, aiming to provide flexible digital infrastructure for insurance players to build digital carriers. Um, and what that means is using smart contracts to act as an on-chain balance sheet where uh, an insurance manager can raise funds, uh, can track ownership over individual uh, investor uh, investments um, and can work with uh, a network of participants to write risk against that balance sheet all on chain within a legal framework and a regulatory framework that is suitable for uh, this new technology. So this is definitely one of the, the coolest things that I've heard at this InsureTech conference this week <laughs> going on, really in the like innovative part of the insurance sector. Um, be great to also understand some context about the company. So, you know, some metrics. Um, when was it founded? How many people are you now? Mm -hmm. um, you've got VC backing. So if you just talk us through some of that, please. Yeah, so we're around three and a half years in. Uh, it started from some research that I was doing with a fund called InsureTech Gateway. That's one of our lead investors. Um, and the research was very much on two things. One, how could we scale insurance capacity for digital asset risk as a new risk category? Uh, the space was $150 billion at the time, largely uninsured, is still largely uninsured today. And the hypothesis was if the space continued to grow, then traditional insurance capacity wouldn't be able to scale to provide the volumes required in covering these all sorts of different types of risks that were coming from this new uh, space of on, digital on, assets. On that point, why, why would that be the case? Why would you assume that they wouldn't be able to cover it? Few reasons. The main one being that if you're using a dollar denominated balance sheet to cover crypto risk yeah, that's denominated in Bitcoin or Ether and a plethora of other assets, then that mismatch between assets and liabilities would force you to factor FX into your pricing and pricing the risk, making it very expensive. Um, and your cover wouldn't be able to expand and contract along with your liability. So um, not only would that make products very expensive for insurance, but your capital would be inefficiently allocated, either over or underexposed at any given time. Uh, inefficiently priced at the beginning, 
because you have the FX risk to price in, yep. but then instantly um, could go either way based on what your liability was doing against the dollar. Uh, so we wanted to create an, a native environment to the crypto space that allowed very much the same value chain in insurance to conduct its business, but in a crypto native way. Um, and so that was the first piece is how could we allow assets to match liabilities for crypto assets so insurance parties could come in, build an insurance program, all crypto native uh, for these new different areas of risk. And we don't, at the project level, do the individual pricing and the sort of business line selection um, where that general uh, marketplace piece uh, for those parties to come in and do their business in this efficient way. Um, and that leads into the second piece was if we could create something that was efficient for digital assets, then could that be a step change in efficiency for the wider insurance space as well? Um, as many people know, crypto assets also have uh, you know, this concept of stable coins that are pegged to uh, a fiat uh, currency, usually US dollar. Um, and so you could build these insurance programs in a stablecoin uh, to cover dollar-denominated risk. And that could go beyond digital assets into catastrophe, travel, health, parametric insurance, a whole world of insurtech perils. Um, and so that was our, our goal. Step one, go to market. Digital asset risk needs a native environment to uh, allow insurance protection to scale. Um, but almost more excitingly, how could there be a new innovation for the traditional insurance market, which hasn't, well, there hasn't been a step change in the way that that structures over the last 350 years. It's been a process of slow iteration uh, and a slow evolution. And the internet has given rise to a whole burst of energy from the insure tech space. And we think it's time that those parties have back-end infrastructure that's just as digital as they are. Amazing. So if we just come up to date now, mm -hmm. if you just talk us through, I know um, a number of people are geographically distributed right. at names. You have um, uh, a base in Bermuda um, due to some reinsurance regulation, or that's how I understand it. So if you just talk <laughs> us through properly the scope and scale of where names is today. Sure. So we've Raised eight and a half million dollars of funding. Our team is 19. <coughs> um, we're set to be 30 people by uh, March 2023. So that's about six, seven months off. Um, so growing really nicely on that front. Uh, we're set to launch uh, early in the new year. Um, and yeah, that's right. We have a fully distributed team. Uh, I think there's a, about three of us in London, uh, but really we're spread from you know, Denver through to China uh, and lots of places in between um, throughout Europe, uh, Bermuda, we do have a presence. Our regulated business is over there. Um, you know, on the regulatory front, we can dive into a bit more, but, you know, we took a very pro-regulatory approach from the beginning and so we're building a nice relationship on the island uh, over there. Yeah, I want to, in the final part where we future project, talk about um, how really some of the the legals and regulation is where the innovation comes with mm -hmm. names, as, you, as you've put it to me previously. Mm. Um, so we, we can come back to that. Um, in terms of the team, uh, I, I've got to meet some people mm -hmm. uh, in Vegas and you know, there's a really great vibe. Um, so like, I, I think that you clearly have um, done a great job in building a brilliant 
unit who are in sync at the moment. Um, how has it been managing that through, uh, not only are the team distributed, there's been COVID in this mm. founding um, innings of yours as well. Uh, I know that you do a lot of stuff through like virtual meetings, right. and, like even play online games with each other. So talk us through some of that, um, you know, team bonding and sure. uh, how you've managed to do that through this period of time. Yeah, so we were fully remote from the beginning, so pre-COVID days. Um, and I guess the it comes with a great challenge as well as being the best part of my job and the culture within names. So, you know, on the challenge side, there are logistical issues and barriers in hiring people from all over the world. Um, but less so time zone wise, which is the you know, piece that uh, people seem to get hung up on. You know, the company, we try and keep a four hour window in the middle of the day where everyone is really overlapping, everyone across the whole business. Uh, and there are some adjustments to people's you know, daily schedules uh, to make that happen. Uh, that's, 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 a that's a really useful um, tip for anybody considering this or who hasn't done that yet. I, mm -hmm. I just saw that um, companies are starting to hire people by time zones in right. reference to geographies as well. So right. it's interesting to see the evolution of how this will pan out. What are those like specific toolkit here? What are those four hours that you guys have chosen? Uh, it's like one to five UK yeah. time. Okay. Um, so, you know, we have people as far as West Coast yeah. uh, who get up very early <laughs> yeah. uh, and, um, and then others who, you know, have a later time. But, you know, if you're, if you're a remote business, I think, and lots of companies have found this through COVID, you can be very transactional on calls. And that's why we come to places like this to meet people and, and even meet up as a group. Yeah. Um, and the benefit of that, although there's a relationship building piece that you miss, um, the benefit is that if you can keep you know, incredibly productive within those four hours, it gives people the rest of their days to get things done. Um, and you know, we do have some people ahead of business development, for example, that have these you know, busy schedules throughout the whole day, and it's difficult to find times to actually sit down and get work done. So, it's a nice way to you know, help people psychologically with when they can you know, have focus time and when they can be collaborating. And as a remote business, that collaboration is you know, as paramount as it gets. Yeah, and we, we in, in Marna Lab, um, did a study on distributed teams. And uh, we, we set up uh, a tool in Slack, mm -hmm. which is called um, Moody Man. Yep. where it was running sentiment and analysis through teams when they've got different skill sets and sometimes how the jargon can be confusing and can stress people when they're working remotely. Mm. We feel like it's an area to try and support teams who are distributed because that clearly looks like it's uh, one choice that certain organizations will take. Right. So like on that specific point, uh, you, you said, you know, sometimes it can be quite transactional on a call mm. or potentially you know, on a Zoom, you can't get eye contact. Mm. Um, so there's some development with in the metaverse that's coming for that. And <laughs> you know, when, when you're writing, I, I do it myself to the team. You know, you can reread some of the lines that you've sent to somebody that's trying to be constructive, and it just comes across very transactional and productive. Right, right. Specifically, what so you've got the time zones, which has been worked out well. Specifically, what are you doing other than when you come to Vegas and you're doing team bonding? Like throughout a week, how are you managing that? Well, I act like a goofball for the first 10 minutes of every call. So that just, you know, gets some, uh, gets some fun into the, into the room. Um, we all have VR headsets, uh, very, very modern and, uh, and millennial. Um, and we use them for different reasons. We use them every week for work. 
Um, it's funny you mentioned eye contact. I do talk about it as being actually a part of you know, VR is quite interesting. There's, there's two things that are different between a Zoom and, and an online uh, sort of metaverse meeting. Uh, one is you can look at people in the eye. I know it sounds dumb. It's like an avatar eye. Um, but you end up, you know, you're moving your head, you're looking around to different people. And the second thing, which doesn't happen too often, but you can have multiple conversations within a single group. And so you can have a small conversation over there, and that's quieter for you because they're further away. And then you can, you know, quickly ask someone next to you uh, a question. And that is a different dynamic as well. On Zoom, it's always one person talking and, or presenting. Um, so yeah, we do try and use that. And then in a fun way, we, you know, we have these uh, games that we can play online every, every month or so that people can opt into. Yeah, I, f I find if you, you go into Zoom with more than, say, three or four people, mm -hmm. I mean, it's annoying, isn't it? Because either you feel like you might be lecturing people or, or someone else is doing it. And you know, if you try and interject with a comment, it, it, it's, it's really tricky. So, so you found that that's a, a great solution. How many people can you get you know, on the metaverse, around a table where it feels productive? You can get 16. I think we've reached 15, maybe, or 12, or something like that. Um, and then there's always a few people who've forgotten to you know, charge up or whatever else that can come in in a normal Zoom square. Um, but I think, you know, to the Zoom call point, we don't have that benefit of being in an office, you know, going out for lunch, grabbing people that you wouldn't usually, you know, directly work with on a day-to-day -day basis. So those, you know, micro conversations that you don't have throughout the day as a team, we're trying to figure out ways to just encourage that dynamic so that it's not like you're working with people that you don't know. And I think we do a great job. I, you know, the best thing about names is the team, hands down. Uh, but we, I, I'm, we don't shy away too much from having uh, you know, a number of, a larger group on calls. Because it's important for people to hear what conversations are going on, uh, what people are working on. Um, maybe there's a question that comes up where you wouldn't otherwise think of connecting specifically uh, with, with people within the team for that purpose. So, um, you know, we don't sit all day as a big group of 12 on Zoom calls, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, do, I don't mind uh, there being some large discussions. And we've tried recently to you know, really pull in a lot of the calls we were having throughout the week into a single day where everyone can get up to speed to, to free up people's time as well. So it's a com constant evolution, really, and um, yeah, open for everyone in the team feeding back on how best to grow that. Thanks. Before we go into the section um, about you, Dan, and go into some of your wonderful and mysterious past. Um, I just want to finish on some of the current. Um, so I feel the way that you've built the team has um, been, been brilliant. Uh, for someone who's raised VC backing, uh, and from like a real kind of cornerstone lead investor, I'm sure you could have last year, we're in 2022, mm -hmm. September, raised more money, hired more people. Um, and then we've walked into, in 2022, a bear market. Mm -hmm. And so like, it looks incredibly shrewd, <laughs> the, the kind of approach that you took. But I remember having a conversation with you through it. And, and what really struck me, you know, for, for quite a young founder, was how you were thinking of growing the team, like really from a value perspective, making sure that each hire was right, making sure you weren't over-hiring, and uh, that the team was you know, all productive and, you know, calibre in preference to let's just go big, mm. let's go raise more money. I'd love you to talk to that a little bit, what the thinking there was, and, you know, given what's happening in the market condition, has that panned out to be the right move? Yeah, the main piece is it's very difficult to 
be focused on fundamental analysis in a startup because it's a startup. You could be anything. It could end up being Google. It could crash and burn within 10 weeks. Um, and when it comes to valuations, there's a million and one examples of the crazy stories that go on. And if they go badly, then you know the founders are vilified. And if it goes well, then you know they become these big heroes of our generation. And it can be reasonably easy when you get the right story and you you sort of hook a the venture market into this being the next big thing to raise large amounts of capital, particularly if uh, capital is free flowing, which it certainly was last year. Um, yeah, I think in general, it was always, I was chatting about this with a friend yesterday. It's very difficult for me anyway, because of my character perhaps, to go out for a fundraise with a story that I don't believe in. And it's you know, your storytelling. It's, it's, you know, this is the team, this is our business, this is our future. And if I don't believe that we're worth a billion dollars, which right now is the case, you know, then that's going to be difficult for me to go out and pretend. And you know, you get a million and one questions a day when you're fundraising. I don't want to be playing some character that believes in something that uh, isn't true. And so it's always just about the story. If you can stay as close as you can to what you think is fundamentally the case. Um, then you'll always be able to grow that over time. And there's no, going to be no surprises when you get to the next round, because you've been talking about what the company should look and feel like in the next round when you get there. And then suddenly you can go in and say, yeah, you know, 18 months ago, this is what we were talking about. And now we're here, and we're ready to, to do another funding round. So you know, I, I won't claim to have had this you know, magical ball that said, well, the market's going to crash. And, and uh, we're going to want to have raised a small amount and then continue to grow as our actual value grows. But right now, that's kind of what it looks like, and all for taking the credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll go into your bio and understand more about that character, which is really interesting in terms of then how your decision making has panned out with raising and building the team. Mm -hmm. Final question, um, just about the present, like coming up to it. Um, you know, right now, What's the biggest challenge to take the next step? Um, my, as I alluded to, my favorite part of my job is that team dynamic. And you know, I can talk about challenges on the sort of business proposition side, um, uh, which, I, which I will do so. But I think there's a really deep level of nuance to what makes a good team work. And you know, I often say, to the guys that, you know, there's two things that we're building. One is names, marketplace, proposition, all of that. The other side is just the dynamic of a team that can solve problems. And really, we have unbelievable insurance-specific experts within the names team. But I would have every confidence that if names moved on, you know, tomorrow, we could go and do something else completely outside of insurance and, and work through that process. That's really all you know, startups are, are about is running through a space, figuring out these challenges and what's going wrong. And, uh, you know, these incredible solutions come from that. And it doesn't have to be specific to any vertical. So that's the challenge, I think, is, you know, working with people like Mana, working with the, the core team to yeah. figure out how we work better together and, and, so I think, and grow. I think in parallel to that, um, I love that sentiment, but in parallel to that, you could have the same team focused on different industry sectors and trying to achieve different things. So, you know, there's this classic 
well, is it about a great founder or a great team or is it about a great market opportunity? And, and it's, right. in the, it's in the middle. It's, it's when you can bring those things together. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity you guys are going after, I certainly believe is, is, is epic. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively sure that there will be somebody who will take the market opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so what comes into it is the timing, which tends to be affected about, is the market ready A and B the technology and then the team that comes to it. Mm-hmm. So looks like you guys have assembled a phenomenal team. <laughs> uh, the opportunity's there. What's the challenge to get from zero to one? Because I think from one upward, mm. then you're in a wonderful position. Yeah, right, yeah. What, it, technically, um, what is the biggest thing that you need to achieve to bring that marketplace together? Like the first transaction, for instance, what are you looking at as that zero to one moment? Yeah, so, you know, we say that there are lots of crypto people that don't understand insurance and lots of insurance people that don't understand crypto. And so the challenge is this educational balance in the middle where we're in constant conversations with one side of the market and talking about the other side and, and vice versa. Um, and so that challenge is A, in that education, but B, is in really the technology itself should fade into not insignificance, but should fade into the background. Yeah. You know, what they're trying to do is the end goal for them, what's their value. And that doesn't have to be around this narrative of blockchain, smart contracts, immutability, tokenization, you know, how legal and regulatory pieces fit in with this new uh, sort of method uh, through, the te- through the tech. Um, but at the moment, that is the way that we speak about what we do, because people want to know the details with these new businesses. So. Yeah, our zero to one moment will be when we're talking about the end proposition for them without the technology piece being a part of educational need for users. Um, and and, yeah. and the, the, the user case there, because I'm just trying to think if I'm in the audience here, do I completely understand everything you're trying to achieve right now? And I think to finish that piece is to understand a user case. Yeah. So, you know, I just think, probably my number one fan on the podcast is my mum. She's quite knowledgeable about fintech now. So you can, <laughs> right, yeah. you can speak at like 7.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Like what's the experience she ends up with this or goes right into right, three right. years? So an insurance company can build a digital version of themselves on our technology. So it's a separate balance sheet or account uh, for that company to operate their business, their book of business, which is a pool of capital on to which they can write risk. They can obviously raise those funds from capital markets. But the center of this whole marketplace is this on-chain balance sheet. Um, And yeah, that moment where an insurance company wants to raise funds from an alternative capital source, we give that regulated bridge to that source, um, and then can work with brokers, et cetera, on distributing risk and writing that against that pool of capital. That's the moment where we get to one. Yep. Um, and the challenge is, do we work with the big guys, the big insurance players, who have innovation departments, they have lots of resources, they have lots of bureaucracy, or do we work with the small insure techs who are maybe more in tune with what the technology can do and are more flexible to work with them, but have fewer resources, you know, they're startups of them, you know, in their own right. So they have their own startup challenges that, um, and their own you know, focus that takes up their time. So finding that key player to get to one is, our, is the biggest challenge. And exactly as you say, once we get there, then you know, we have less of a time 
restriction on the different players coming in. We can work with the small guys to help them through that you know, application and setup process. And we have the time for the big guys to go through the compliance and due diligence that's required to understand the technology, own a wallet, you know, you know, this sort of crypto uh, piece that allows them to hold funds and transact on, on chain. Um, so yeah, pulling it all together is, is a major piece. And before we go live, the main challenge has been not just in users, but pulling these you know, regulatory, legal, technical, and, and then obviously commercial pieces all together. And that as a startup with limited resources, you know, becomes the main you know, orchestration challenge. Um, but like you say, we've got these amazing people who work at NAMES now who you know, have made that such a um, more powerful process. And when you say it's somewhere in between people and proposition, it's really both. You know, I didn't know what NAMES was going to become when this started. Um, and that's because these you know, incredible teammates have come in, have been given the autonomy to do what they can do, and have surprised me beyond you know, anything that I would have realized to begin with. So, um, yeah, very excited to, to get to one, basically. Yeah, amazing. Um, we'll cut back into some of that in the final part. Um, so I'm going to just read out a few things, for what I think anybody would find from a conventional LinkedIn or CV, so that you can't just do a, a kind of time walk through your obvious <laughs> right, yeah. background, so that we can go into some of the stuff like you don't drink coffee and tea, which I find really weird. <laughs> this is the interesting stuff. It's as so, interesting as it gets. <laughs> well. We'll find out. So, um, A, 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 maths, economics, music at school, A right. levels. That's good. That's strong academically. Love it. Top notch. University, Bristol. Yep. Economics. That's right. 2 1. A low 2 1. Started to, <laughs> yeah. started to happen a bit yeah. too much fun, potentially. And then, like, after that, Founded a few different types of company. Um, banana berry. Yep. Okay, want to go into that? My first love. Lacuna? Lacuna, yeah. How do you yep. pronounce it? Lacuna Digital yep. and Lacuna Health. Yep. Um, and then it really goes into like from jellyfish into blockchain interest, which yep. we'll come back, we'll come back onto. Um, so I think that's the, that's the, the CV. Now let's go as far back as possible okay. and really trying to help us, if you could be so kind, to visualize you know, what growing up as Dan was as early back as possible, thinking from a lens of what potential like influences you had early on were. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, where to start? I mean, so I had, a, um, I had a good foundation as a kid growing up. So I had the freedom to explore sport, uh, explore music, um, and you know those two things, tennis and saxophone in particular, became my first jobs. So teaching tennis, teaching saxophone, um, and I think that you know as you talk about with my achievements at school, there was a kind of a bubble that I was existing in, which was you're surrounded by a very small community of people <laughs> that you know, constantly are sort of affirming the achievements that you're doing and that makes you, you know, feel great. You go into university, your world expands only slightly, but you feel like it expands entirely. Um, and you end up, you know, a little middle of the field, uh, 
realizing slowly that you're probably on a bit of a path that's just getting you into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so as good as uh, you know, our school was in encouraging these kind of extracurricular activities and things, it was really its main purpose was to get you into university and then university you realize is kind of all geared to the grad job and the grad job you know, is geared to get you into the world of work and that's, so, that's the... So just before we get to kind of the, the university onward part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a good school in terms of like churning out good grades to get you into the right university. Mm. What might it have lacked then? Like if you looked back, was there anything that it could have facilitated in terms of like a philosophy or a thought that it didn't? I think school is, and the purpose of school, it's very difficult for them to allow individuals to follow a general direction that they might be very good at. You know, that's tough when you're, you know, governing 5,000 students. Um, and so, you know, in a way, what they did well was do as much as they can to allow you to pursue these other non-academic uh, interests. But really, I think it becomes the role of the parent to keep you wise to the fact that school is only going to be limited in that regard. Um, and I think I had that. I mean, my, both my parents were doctors. Um, I maybe initially thought that it, you know, their intention for me was, you know, be a doctor or be a lawyer kind of mentality, but that wasn't the case. Um, and so school, you know, I don't have any reservations about, but you do realize as you grow old that, well, as you grow old, <laughs> I'm like 32. <laughs> um, but as you grow up, you know, the, there's a limitation in what they can do to opening your mind to the things that you can do in life. You know, there's not five jobs. Um, you can create your own or you can choose from any do you, of Do you feel the, that you had levels. anything that, that might be toward an outlier experience? So both the parents are doctors. So I assume the experience is like they're incredibly busy, right? They're doing really impactful, purposeful work. You're going to a good school, getting good grades. You become really good at some sports as well. So everything, like you say, is just you must be highly capable, disciplined, doing really well. Is there anything outside of that that would show us why you're, I mean, if you look now, you're a disruptive entrepreneur in like an incredibly innovative space. And I know part of that story probably comes from university onwards. But like if you go back, was there anything that would demonstrate perhaps some of those tendencies? The classic being, you know, the person selling uh, lemonade out the front of the porch because they're a, <laughs> yeah. a mini entrepreneur or whatever it might be. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, it, I don't know if this is an outlier thing, but we really just spent a lot of time in the natural environment. You know, I'm a guy of the mountains. We camped a lot. Uh, my dad sailed. Um, you know, that's a lot of where we spent our time. Um, you know, close family, not, not city folks or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I know there's like a need for this sort of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, story, but it really was just a, you know, connected, peaceful. Well, uh, there's there's a few piece. trends that I pick up on mm -hmm. when trying to. Find, I know I have to keep pushing at this point. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting if we fi we find something which that might be, you know, like the founder of um, Rocket Internet believes that most of the greatest entrepreneurs were mm -hmm. born on farms. Mm -hmm. He literally looks for this because he thinks that you get to this position of being able to dream so big that when you then get to the city or you, you start your venture, you won't let go of that huge dream. Mm 
-hmm. like the conditioning isn't there. Right. And so actually, you know, there's many different models that could make you an outlier. That could be one. If you think back to, you know, when you were in those type of environments, you're out in the wilderness, was there an ambition to get away from this and get to a city and to set something up? No, 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 okay. well, no, no, that wasn't. <laughs> but I, but I think I think the point is, there was a this foundational life, if you like, of enjoying, you know, pursuits, uh, sport, whatever else. Um, you know, that hit me when I got to university. I know you're trying to keep me at like, you know, a three years old, <laughs> and you know what what happened as a child. But, but I think yeah, the the conditioning, if you want to call it, throughout your childhood. Oh, you, uh, is only learned when you get to an older age and something hits you. There's like a, you know, th there's no conflict in the way that you think and the way that you live as a kid. That was my experience. And then when you get to university and you start applying for a financial job, there's a major conflict. Like you are out of alignment for the first time in your life. And you can either, you know, not think about that and you know, maybe, maybe you get the job. And I, I got an interview at Barclays Capital or whatever it was, and I didn't get the job. And I remember being very so relieved that I didn't get the job, which was a strange thing. It's like, I'm going for this job. I put in all this time, because that's what I've been told at university I'm going to be doing. And when I didn't get the job, there was suddenly this like, relief that I could go back to living in alignment. And so you know, whether that was going to be entrepreneurship or, or anything else, there was a moment coming out of university where I realized that I suddenly didn't have to go for this job that I had maybe subconsciously been you know, heading towards for a long time. And that was incredibly freeing. It's like, oh, I can live in my adult life in alignment as well. Um, and so, yeah, I'm you know, not a psychologist, so I probably couldn't break down the, the childhood piece as well as you're maybe hoping. But I think that's probably it. Is, you're able to exist in a, in a world of experience, if that doesn't sound too pretentious. You know, I, I'm less about knowledge and more about this experience. And as soon as you're like pulled out of that experience to kind of be someone else, you know, put the suit on and you know, go and get the, the grad job, um, you know, the, the, there's, a real, there's a real pulling out of uh, yeah. that, that, that you know, it becomes very apparent. And so there was this realization of like, oh, I can go and do whatever you know, like don't you don't don't worry about what other people may may have may be thinking for you. They're probably not thinking about it that much at all anyway. Yeah, and I think probably ninety five percent of people um, don't have that realization or head into that you know Barclays Capital role, mm. and that that can be a great thing because sure. you know um, serendipitously you might enjoy it, you might garner experience from it, and then decide to do something else. But really early on, you have this kind of cognizant you know, um, moment where you're liberated to choose what you want to do. And then yeah. what happens next? How do you go through the next phase? Well, just a quick thing to, to pick up on is that, so yes, you know, I'm sure some people enjoy that sort of thing, but there are lots of people that talk about starting companies because a company can be anything. It can be a sport thing, it can be yoga classes, it can be, you know, artists who is setting up exhibitions. You know, it doesn't have to be a, like FinTech, you know, or, or anything else. So. It's so broad that it can be anything. And everyone that you speak to has a thing that they love doing that can be a business, nonprofit, you know, big venture scale, whatever. Um, and it's crazy how 
these types of financial jobs, and I just say that as an example because that was the route that I was potentially going to take, they're so good at keeping you in for the rest of your life. It's like the moment that some of my friends reach peak, I'm going to start this business. The next time I see them, it's like, I got this promotion. You know, I got this. And it's like, you know, so th th there's like this subtle knowing of how to keep people through an entire career that by the time they get to the end, it's, it's a little cliche as a story now, but I'm always wary of things that become, you know, over-argued points, kind of like social media is bad. It's like, but we still use it because it's become so well known as a as an argument uh, and it's the same with these kinds of jobs it's like there is so many cool things that people could be doing um, and uh, you know they get they get roped in there um, so what comes next in terms of doing it well I was it was the 24th of January 2014 uh, it was a Friday I was bored uh, I you know was doing logos and you know thinking about uh, starting a, a project this is Banana Berry. Um, I was treasurer of Bristol Social Enterprise at university, so I was always interested in social enterprise as a model that could be applied across lots of different verticals. I never had a love for a specific vertical, but um, you know, this was in food waste, you know, creating products from, uh, from food or potential food waste. Um, and yeah, I went on company's house, 15 pounds, you know, registered the company, I was a CEO, that was nice and easy, straight to the top. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that was just something that came alive uh, in me that no one ha was looking at what I was doing and I had just done it. And it sounds like such a tiny thing, but it felt already that I was kind of back on track. Um, instantly told, you know, all my closest friends and family that I was the CEO of this company <laughs> and it didn't, you know, it didn't even exist. It was just this, you know, registration. Um, but kicked that off for 18 months and you know absolutely loved it very artisan connected with my sister who has a financial background and you know really supported me in these early early days um, and that was it you know I was hooked I, I was going to run things that uh, that I was interested in with cool people that uh, I respected for the rest of my life and, and you know the rest is history thanks so the, the, the point you're making about um you know, people can do so many cool things, and if you go into one of these corporate roles, they're so good at mm -hmm. taking you up the ladder gradually. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely, that's for sure right. I think there's a quote from Benjamin Franklin saying that, you know, and obviously this is a quote from a long time ago, mm -hmm. most, most men basically die at 25, because right. at that point, you know, any clear ambition has has basically gone. Mm. They're on the, the, the corporate, um, you know, kind of treadmill. Mm. But should everybody go and start something? I mean, yes. for sure, for, no, for, <laughs> sure, for, sure, for sure not, right? Why not? Well, I think it depends, like, at what scale somebody's going to go and try and do something. So you've set up a bunch of ventures, I've set up a bunch of ventures, and I don't think everybody's going to want to do some of the elements that um, make you focus on finance, running a business, payroll, regulation, mm. like the grind of setting up a self-sufficient, proper business. Certainly from my perspective, like, and you know, talking to friends, looking at other people's experience, is monumentally tricky. 
unless you, like you say, align it with exactly where your sweet spot is. And I don't think a lot of people find that straight away. So I think if, if you have, like if you know where, you know, you kind of get energy instead of like losing it. Mm -hmm. And for you, that comes from, okay, social enterprises. So actually, it don't particularly matter what sector it is in, but I want to go do this. I don't want to work in this corporate job. And that's great because then there's enough motivation to spend the year or the two, or even if it doesn't succeed, feel like there's been a good set of experience, maybe toolkits that you've learned from it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, th I think for a lot of people, that's not a great option straight away. Mm -hmm. Like there's timing to it. And I think for a lot of people, there's, it's not a good option to go set something up. I would, yeah, I, 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 I think I would say. So uh, yeah, setting something up is too prescriptive, as broad as that is. It's just about, there's a fear barrier, I think, you know, to lots of people in terms of what they can do with their time. And that's the piece that I would maybe just encourage doesn't exist. You know, you've kind of made it up for loads of different reasons. Um, and there are, you know, a total, total new world of different things that people can be doing with their time if they understand that. Um, but, you know, it's a diff difficult one to to encourage because, yeah, I mean, people are leaving stable things and and maybe part of them just kind of likes the the conversation around would love to do this or that and and you know you talk about payroll and all these other bits you don't want to spend or I don't want to spend my whole day in some you know creative haze of you know entrepreneurship inspiration yeah it's fun to have these you know things that tie us to getting things done and feeling productive and for you for, for me but, right but so like you know, so in in the day job having interviewed thousands and thousands of candidates over the years and going into their drivers I don't think that there's a, a segment of people who would be motivated enough to properly set up their own No, business. no. And, and, and by that I, I talk I'm about uh, whatever it might be. It could be a, a cafe, it could be something online, it could be a big right, business. Right, right, right. And then I think that there's, um, you know, you can kind of get in a bubble around where you are if you consider the people you work around previously or at names. These are highly able, competent people who could all probably set their own business up, no doubt about it, if mm -hmm, they wanted mm -hmm. to do it. So. I think the like the prescription. This happened in the in, in in work recently as as well a lot because of venture backing. Where there's this frenzy about oh, I want to be in a venture backed business and like mm. go be a founder. I don't think that's good advice. I'm not saying mm. that's what you're saying <laughs> at all. And I think yeah. that happened in venture as well. It's like, well, look if you should get venture. Mm. Venture has like is fit for purpose if you want to be this outlier business. It's going to be monumentally big then that's why it's been geared, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a bunch of other financial asset classes you can go and raise from private equity, mm -hmm. you know, high net worth individuals, or you can organically run a profitable business. Yeah, yeah. And that's a whole different model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I really, like through the show, want to kind of interview uh, enough different type of entrepreneurs so people can see that there's many different options if you're compelled to go do that. That's right. But there's another option, which is like work can be brilliant where you're also not. The, the person who set it up. That's it, that's it. I, you know, I'm sort of, you know, jo joking, but with the sort of everyone should go and start something. It's not about starting something, it is just about you have a thing that's in your mind that's, you know, pulling you in a direction. And usually it's got nothing to do with a startup, you know, company, any of that. It's about, a, you know, a, a, some flow state thing that is, I want to write more, I want to paint more, I want to ski more, I want to run or whatever it is um, and that can always be something that can become a larger larger part of your life yes uh, and I, I, that that's the bit for me is like 
you know, people say, or you think about how long people, how many hours people work, and let's just take the cliche, you know, you're in the office, you're working seven till midnight every day and you're knackered. You know, you're, na you're tired not because you're doing loads of hours, but all of those hours are like effort. Uh, but if you can find something that you're, you know, it's, it, there's a naivety to it as well, which I think has always been a good part of my character is just, get, you know, there's, there should be a little healthy dose of naivety with these things. Um, is if you can try to, you know, d dissolve this, uh, you know, delusion that you can't spend more of your time doing the thing that you enjoy doing, that thing that's, you know, triggering in your mind on a regular basis if you're out of alignment. There are all sorts of jobs that can, you know, support you financially to, to go and do that. And that can sometimes be as the founder of something. And again, that's so broad, you know, profitable business, small nonprofit, whatever. Uh, or it can be any, any other things. It's just about having people doing the thing that they're meant to be doing. And this is a sort of some major task that we're trying to achieve at Names is that are people in the jobs and roles that they want to be doing, do they have the freedom to make decisions and be proactive and, and go and drive their own careers? It's not some, you know, top-down hierarchy of like we need this done and you got to go do it it's if you if you get the hiring piece right at the beginning then they can it's crazy how much these these people can achieve i love it and sorry i'm just being like contrarian on that point i mean mana is set up you know it's what is people's magic what is their connection to the purpose of mm -mm. the companies we try and you know align them with mm -hmm. and uh you know a lot of the drive for me or anybody who's working on mana is so many people are just not happy with the role that they have mm. And it's just wonderful when you do manage to get them into a position where they're really energized by the work they're doing. Yep. But there are different levels, that, right, rightly as you say, and I think in Web3, we'll see people having multiple projects. Mm -hmm. So like this onus of like, okay, I've got this one thing and everything comes from this, the financial house, career, credibility. Right. It's like, do I move this? It's like, well, you know, like, okay, you're quite interested in this project, perhaps you could spend some time on that you know, uh, in the evening, on the weekend, or perhaps you might end up with three different projects that you're working with. And so I think Web3 is gonna be really exciting to ex explore that over the next seven years. Mm -hmm. um, so just before we go into the, the quick farm on around, <laughs> Love it. I am looking forward to, a lot of what's come out of that has been this attitude to openness, mm -hmm. Dan. And um, I wondered if there's something that you do around any rituals or meditation that gets you in the right type of state to, to have this kind of, well, it feels like real um, great ability to kind of in the moment make decisions from the right place. Yeah, it's a big topic, I think. Um, you know, what, what, what allows you to be in a, you know, a place of presence, really, I think is how I think about it. Um, a boring one is routine is good. Uh, you know, I get up very early and enjoy you know a good good amount of exercise before I start work. That is a you know a, a good start to a day. It is as you know basic um, as it uh, you know as advice as it uh, as it can get. But um, you know that's a major one that again allows you to do as many hours as whatever you're doing as you need to do because. Have you stuck to that whilst being in Vegas? I have not. <laughs> no. um, that's why I'm being incredibly unproductive. Um, but, but yeah, that, you know, I think if you can spend your day 
with that there's not like a degradation in your pro productivity throughout the day, then that is a, you know a, a powerful thing. There are lots of different ways that people get into that state. Meditation is a very powerful one, not something that I would uh, claim to you know know a lot about. Um, but there are lots of tools you know for that, and these can be one-off experiences, you know psychedelics, breathwork, etc. Or they can be um, a daily you know, ritual of, of exercise and you know, whatever, whatever else it may be. I mean, I, again, it, I'm limited by my own experience. And so what seems to work for me is just having a clear mind and, and enjoying the uh, like v variety in your job as well is something that I'm very grateful for. Um, you know, working with lots of different people in lots of different areas um, just keeps a, yeah, excitement and focus in, in uh, being able to yeah, make clear decisions as and when they're needed. There's a side, this is a side thought which it feels like there's too many, there's an attitude where you have to have an opinion over something. Uh, and you know, you see this in debates as well. It's like how necessary is it for us to have, to, to like fight an opinion versus just having a discussion about what we do and don't know and, and you know, coming to some mutual, okay, well this makes more sense. and. Um, yeah, and so forth. So I find it interesting that sometimes, and I don't engage online much, you know, social media and all that, but I think that has allowed me to not be so tied to opinions. And people can disagree with me, <laughs> that's their opinion. Uh, but I, it feels like it's very rare that you actually need to have a strong opinion over something if you have a good dynamic with the people that you're working with. Um, you know, you have, I trust in the people around me are saying things and that's coming from the right place. There's no, you know, ulterior motive. Um, that it's it's rare that you really need to force a decision through or or, or an opinion through. Um, and again, this is all about balance. So you know, I don't want to sound vague, but you obviously need to have a general idea of how things should be going and the way that people, you know, your worldview, you know, incorporates how you think other people should sort of behave. But that's what's cool about companies is you can build a culture within a company and that allows you to collaborate not just amongst each other but with other companies and if all companies are doing that then that is what progresses culture you know on a, on a macro level um, so yeah th there's a rambling in there but I think the point is you know being in a, a real real state of presence and you know, I'm a big skier that takes me right into that moment um, then you know you're, you're, you become very capable of connecting with you know like-minded people that are uh, not so attached to their own preconceptions, but are you know open to discussions about how things should progress. Yeah, thank you. I think once there's routine, but there's the ability to have flexibility and flow and creativity w within it, mm -hmm. you're in a really good, really yeah. good zone. Yeah, and um, remote working to bring it back is powerful for that. Some people yeah. hate working at home, but if the beginning of your day is, you know, s stood next to some stinky guy on the tube, <laughs> and then you like you come out into the world, and you know that that's a crazy way to start your day in, in my mind. You're able to control that environment, aren't you? That's uh, right. It yeah. depends on the commute, doesn't it? Because, you know, um, certain people have a run, meditate, but I, I think you can get that that zone from anywhere. It could be, you know, you've got a particular shower routine or you've got to walk to the office. Mm. It just depends whatever your 
habit is, mm. typically it being relatively consistent, super useful, and allowing creativity through it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think that's definitely one of the benefits of, um, of remote work for a certain type of personality trait. Yeah, we, we, we ha you know, our world has done everything for us now. You know, we have phones that can bring us food and you know, go on a date and you know, do all that instantly. And so that's the challenge. That's a big challenge, I think, for our generation. Well, my general view is to remove yourself from that as much as you can so that you're in control of how you want to spend your day. Uh, and then these, you know, these minor things that people who commute every day are like, whatever, it doesn't make a big difference. Actually, that does make a, dif a big difference to your, yeah, your, your feeling of feeling comfortable. And it's not about being in a state of comfort. You know, you, you go, it's this balance between you should push yourself and go you know, into these uh, slightly more chaotic states or you know, coming out to Vegas even. Is, you know, there's all sorts of things going on and we're shooting this and there's a million people and you're running all around all over the place. So it's not comfortable in the sense that other days might be when you're you know, waking up and you're working from home and having a nice, uh, you know, ni nice day. Um, but I think, yeah, you have to remove yourself from some of these negative pat patterns of uh, routine to realize, oh yeah, th this is a better way of doing things. At Mana, we've got um, different type of natures of work. Um, and so I've just completely said, look, it's hybrid. Like, I think it's very useful for us to come in every now and again for whiteboard, yeah, right, whiteboard yeah. sessions or whatever. I would love, yeah, love the um, ability to but, do that. You know, people also um, you know, feel like they're more productive mm. or there's a variety of scenarios why they would prefer to work remotely. Right. What we've seen is different types of teams behaving differently based mm. on what the nature of work is and therefore potentially the characteristic of the person. Mm. So for sure the sales team, like even if we basically say don't come in, they'll come in. Right. Um, and, and, and I mean, then we'd have to get really deep into the philosophy of whether that's good or not. But mm. certainly it feels like the reason they like that is the energy they get from each other and the like bouncing around of like what can be quite a high volume metric role. Mm -hmm. And so you just can't stop those guys coming in. They really love to do that. And then mm -hmm. people who are more on the research or academic side certainly seem to sway towards being in their own zone. So I think my, my hope is, and like this is definitely what we want to be the broker of, is not saying this is the right thing to do. That's the great thing is you just really uh, brilliantly put across with companies, you get to great cultures, they're very different. And we feel like our responsibility when we're introducing people to them, it's just been really clear with what is strong in that culture mm -hmm. and making sure that if a person you know, loves that, that's great. But if they don't, then that's probably a reason even if on like you know, the title and the money's great, don't go there. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're somebody who's really strong on this point. So I think as it moves forward, you're gonna have remote work, in-office work, you can see the investment banks bringing people back already, mm -hmm. hybrid work, and it's just really important mm -hmm. when you're looking for your career, many things, as you were saying, but also on that point to just make sure you're really clear about yeah. what the setup is, basically. Yeah, me and Ted, uh, my co-founder, we started the company three and a half years ago. We didn't have an idea, we didn't think about culture at all. We just, you know, you start and you get going, and then it becomes its own thing over time, and, you know, being a remote business is one of those things. We would love to be able to have the opportunity on a whim to get everyone into the office for a day or a week uh, to work together, and, you know, we have these moments like Vegas, and we had our product offsite recently in London where people come from around the world. If we could teleport in for a day to all spend days together, we would absolutely do that more often. But uh, because that's not possible, 
you know, we could either hire all in a single environment, but then we wouldn't have the team that we do. So there is a trade-off, but I think there's huge benefits on, on that side. And we're very clear, as you say, through the process of what that culture now looks like. And we've lost people because of that. Um, but that's, you know, that's a win for both sides, I think. Right, so quick fire, Mon around. We're yep. gonna find Dan Roberts, Mana and Superpower. Therefore, answer these as um, kind of uh, short yes, no, or yep. elaborate into them if, if you're really interested in the particular question. Dan, what would you put onto the front cover of your favorite publication? So think of whether, it, I don't know what the, uh, the insure tech for Forbes is, but you've got the <laughs> right. front cover. What would you put on it? I'm not sure an insure tech publication is my favorite publication. <laughs> um, What's your favorite publication? <laughs> um, I, I respect The Economist a lot. I, okay, think, it's a, I think it's a good one. Let's yeah. go with that, me too. Yeah. Uh, what would I put on the front? Um, just a, a, a photo of my face looking super wise. No. Um, what would I put? I'm interested in this, um, this kind of old insurance story of a bunch of industrial folks getting together in a room, in a cafe, um, and kind of figuring out what's become insurance today. And what excites me about the company is that there's that same kind of attitude. There is a bit of a feeling of a fresh start about what we're doing, um, instead of it being a, another iteration on top of what already exists. Uh, so, you know, I, it would be great to work with some creative design agency on what the front cover would look like, but some, you know, some almost like an image of an old coffee house and uh, half of it sort of being wiped out and you're just left with, you know, a, a smart contract line of code or something like that. Ooh, I um, like it. And it's, you know, there's a, there's a fresh new metaphorical coffee house that's being put together by a random group of people all over the world. And uh, yeah, it's the beginning of the next 350 years. Love it, amazing. What keeps you up at night? Um, jet lag. Um, generally sleep pretty well, um, but... If we were, if we were I, th I think I think a piece for me is that when you talk about the zero to one thing, yeah. it's like, not getting to one is more sort of weighing on my mind than not going from one to a gazillion. And so, you know, there are so many people putting in a lot of work into what we're doing and not having those people find some success in their, their innovation getting out into the world is kind of a, you know, that weighs on your mind. You want that to, um, you want it to, you want people to have their moment where there's a real, like I did that moment, and then whatever happens after that, you know, is is up to, is up to fate or whatever you want to call it. But you know, there's a real pressure, I think, to make the work that a lots of people have done come to fruition and for them to, you know, see it out in the world. Um, so, so, some, some something on that theme. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Um, really interesting your take on this because actually you, you given quite a contrarian view to social media, which I agree with, which is there is for sure downside, but there's also benefit. And I think it gets too strongly put into the it's all bad category. The, the massive topic, um, I think, moving forward is artificial intelligence. Mm. 
Um, would you consider artificial intelligence friend or foe? Foe. Because we don't understand it. You know, it's like, it is... So I, I had a... Um, I was listening to a Diogo podcast, and uh, he mentioned the book Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, uh, which is you know, probably the one I bring up most in conversations. It's an incredibly... You just killed my next question. <laughs> ...aligning. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, AI seems to be the beginning of this sporadical infinity. So he has a very optimistic view of the beginning of infinity, this yeah. idea of, you know, the, the limitless, almost universality of knowledge, and knowledge being defined as good explanations or um, you know, explanations that can hold up to increasing, increasing culture of criticism, self-criticism. And um, AI seems to come under the same bracket of the beginning of infinity as that definition, but with a totally and utterly unknown for us. Um, and I would imagine that David Deutsch's view, not to uh, put words in his mouth, is that he's optimistic because you never know what you can achieve you know, through human knowledge, uh, that can lead to all sorts of incredible inventions for the survival of our civilization and finding new places to live and, and so forth. Whereas AI feels like it, it's in another category of just total unknown uh, that could just, you know, put an end to that. You know, he says a comet or a politician, it's very, very unlikely to end human civilization, which would be the end of that creative knowledge creation. Whereas AI, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know. But I've watched The Matrix a few times, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm too deep. Are we in a simulation? <laughs> yeah, not the one projected through <laughs> these kinds of films, but, uh, but a version of them, yeah. Thank you. Do you have a particular mantra um, that you love, um, like to tell the audience about or live by? Um, do I have a mantra? Along the lines of no fear, I think. And fear is way more subtle than we think. Um, so yeah, try to figure out ways to understand the various elements of fear in your life that, that are dictating the way that you are behaving towards other people, towards what you want to do with your time, towards that climb or hike or whatever it is that, or, um, startup or musical instrument you wanted to start or whatever it is. I think we're, you know, we, we adjust our characters way too much based on fear, particularly of what other people think as well. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm caught up in that. It's like, am yeah. I doing this because there's an element, there's sort of this ether of thought of what people are, are about. And I think that, that grips us more than we think. I love it. I, th I think, um, you know, one of the things that just makes kind of life not as good as it could be is stress. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that's from trying to think about other people's opinions. And if you can get like a strong grip on, you know, what your thoughts on things are, but also still be open to listening, then you, you find yourself in a more balanced situation. So I personally, the big one for me is um, uh, trying to be grateful like first thing in the morning, mm. because like I'm in a really fortunate situation where there's loads of challenges, there's lots of opportunity. And it'd be very easy to go straight into where the problems are. It's mm. like the nature of a lot of the work that I might do. Mm. And then have a really bad day where you're basically reacting to a bunch of stuff. Mm. 
So I like to like go into the day, be grateful I've got it, and then push positively. So for me, there's a few few things I do, but there's this kind of um, random stone I got when I was traveling once that I've just stuck with, and I like, tend to have it in my pocket in the morning. Oh, oh, that's like an affirmation for mm. me when I kind of like hold that, remember that I'm grateful. It like really sets my day up nicely. Love it. Very cliche. Do you have anything? Then that you get on the tube and ah. you get on the tube and it all gets messed <laughs> up. Do you, do you have anything that like sets you up to remember that on a daily basis? No. It's just ingrained. Yeah, it's just that's the. I mean, the grateful thing is a good one. It's like a. I'm not going to get into the free will argument, but there is a good, a very good argument of how really all the things that you're doing are linked to everything that you would have done you know, beforehand. Uh, and therefore everything coming up is, is you know, based on that as well, that sort of force. And so all the way back to you know, your birth and before that. And so it's like all that's left is just if things uh, you know, feel good, then be grateful for that. And whatever these you know, little things throughout the day that you enjoy doing, uh, whatever they are, just you know, take in those little moments. Another nice way of thinking about it um, was people often think about the good things in life being the, you know, the holiday coming up and you know, certainly when you start thinking of a car or whatever else. Whereas they're so mi that's such a minor part of your whole time. So if you can get these little things right, you know, a relationship, uh, you know, the, your little ritual holding a stone, you know, that's every day that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good start yeah, to, to say. Michael, um, who's on the show from Chainalysis, just takes great pleasure in how he makes his coffees. Like, he really stretches just that perfect. to a 20 minute yeah. process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that, like you say, is. You people really like people, look forward to it. Don't people do you? that in corporate <laughs> jobs. You know, they go to the toilet for like an hour just to, just to not be doing. Yeah, to, yeah. um, okay, just a couple more of this round. Um, if you could be so kind to kind of recommend who like you think a dream guest to come on to Searching for Mana would be for you? Um, Yvonne Chouinard. I don't know if I've said that right, but he's the um, founder of Patagonia. Uh, and he wrote a book uh, that I almost finished called Let My People Go Surfing. Um, you know, total veteran, being in it for a long time. Uh, I have Patagonia gear. He, he you know, he has a, a life that I, you know, really relate to and, and love. And he just loved being outdoors and skiing and hiking and ice climbing and all these things. And he managed to build a business that is totally aligned with the way that he thinks and what he wants to see in the world. Um, you know, I didn't grow up being like, I just want digital insurance marketplaces to, you know, but, but there are elements that you pull from, from these things. So, you know, he, he would be, and he's just, there's some recent news, which I think yeah. has gone pretty viral of him transferring the, the whole company into these foundations and, you know, giving up his billion, billionaire status and things. And, and, and you know, you, you might see that as a PR headline and you read his book and it is totally, he's, he's seen this, you know, for his whole life, he's seen how this has, has gone. And, you know, the, the traditional uh, business consulting wisdom was kind of always trying to push him off track and, and he had a real, a real direction that he just very cleanly saw. Um, and he talks a lot about the environment and Patagonia's impact on that. And it's like, we talk a lot about the environment in you know, our generation and, and you know, currently in the media. You have to spend time in the environment to care about it. Uh, properly, otherwise it's just a debate of I heard this thing and I heard this thing and this makes sense. And you know, he's someone that has seen the impact of drilling, you know, these pegs into a climbing wall, um, and then coming back the year later and the climbing wall roots ruined or you know has been impacted by humans 
being there and humans' participation in that, in that event. And it's like you have to physically see the damage that you are doing in these moments of loving the beauty of nature to then spend your whole life creating something which is as aligned as it can be with that. Um, so yeah, go outdoors, you know, go camping, <laughs> go, go for a walk, um, because it leads to these kinds of characters and I think he would be a great person to yeah, listen to. Amazing. I mean, I just love um, biographies, um, typically, always trying to find the next one. So you've kind of covered what book I'm going to go get as well. I'll put yeah. that in the show notes. It sounds amazing. Nice. Maybe I could borrow yours. Kindle or is it? Book? Kindle. Ah, yeah, okay. sorry. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get a, a hardback. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have a phone. I mean, he's like, I love that. I would love to not have a phone. Sounds so cool. Well, yeah. I'll, try, I'll, I'll try and get him on. It's an ambitious I wouldn't last a day, but yeah. Um, that'd be amazing. I mean, is, is there another book you'd like to recommend? No, I, I'd re reiterate The Beginning of Infinity. Yeah. I think it is such a, it cuts through a lot of the confusion of people's battle with, with science and spirituality and religion and it just is a real, real yeah. uh, force for just looking forwards and it ties all of these different things together and allows you to understand them all in a different way. So that's a huge one. I, I think that's, that's mega. Yeah. And then Let My People Go Surfing is yeah, a great reminder of the outdoors. Thank you so much. So, Dan, what would you say um, your mana is? And just to go over it for you or anyone in the audience who doesn't know, um, in gaming, mana is you know, your magic. So you've got your power, your life, and then you've got your mana, which mm. can be your super sword skills or being able to run quickly, jump high, whatever, <laughs> it, might, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I know you'll have many, but if you were to say, well, the main one is, what's your mana? What's my mana? Um, Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I'm a bit of a joker. I was a joker at school. I'm a bit of a goof. You know, I, I have this. Uh, you know, I have a job to do, and you know, I, I love. Uh, I love all of that work. But um, yeah, it's back to that point of those little pieces throughout the day that make life fun. Is yeah, I'm sort of I'm pretty much an idiot most of the time, and that seems to be going all right for me. So <laughs> um, yeah, joking around it makes it more fun to meet new people, and yeah, that that always just comes back to you. So. Uh, I can, I'll take that. He's gone for joking about. So we're going to make mana cards for all <laughs> Joking our, about, I'm happy with it. All of our guests and- Ask, like, ask, you know, ask Danielle and, and David will. and my colleagues, maybe they have a different That's what they'll say. They'll be like, yeah. this guy's bringing He's a genius, <laughs> you know, his, he's like, <laughs> you know, intellectually superior. No, it'll be, it'll be that. Banter, and like on, on the cards, we're going to put like how strong the mana is. Yeah, so yeah. Like you're saying you're, you're, you're 10 out of 10 on banter. Well, you know, just being a goof, I'm, 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 I'm up for that. Being a goof, okay, love it, amazing. So, covered like the here and now, gone into your bio, I think that like what's running through it for me, like I said is, I mean, if I was gonna say what your mana is apart from goofing around, it seems like this amazing openness so I might put that on there as well. <laughs> nice. your I disagree with your mana. Am I going to do this is a centralized mana card. Yeah. Well, yeah. for, for, through some way of whatever you know has happened throughout the past, I've ended up in this moment of feeling very present. You know, that can be in my mana if you like. You know, I don't know how it's happened, but I feel right here all the time, every day, and that allows me to be a goof. So maybe that's a better. Just like Michael way. Jordan. 
that. That was just really like Michael Jordan. Just like people Jordan. often compare us. Yeah. So we we don't um, have much longer. I've taken a lot of your precious time, and you've got to go and is. give a speech at the the conference. Um, so just to wrap up, really, wherever you want to take it. I mean, I'd like to just over the next five minutes let you talk to the future of names and what you would hope to achieve. You know, if we went really Hollywood, yeah. what's the outcome here? You can go as far into the future as you'd, you'd prefer. Yeah, I mean, uh, sort of I've alluded to it a few times, but the big one for me is I would love for name, so we can talk about what the future of names, the proposition looks like, but I would love for names, the company, uh, by being defined as a group of people, being a example of a good collaboration of people. On the company side, we have two halves. Uh, on one side, we have the names marketplace, you know, placement of insurance programs, raising of capital, trading, etc. And then on the other side, we have this catalyzing uh, token. And so the name token allows users of the marketplace side to buy into its success uh, and to buy into decision making. So they, for example, uh, through being a token holder, have governance over our discretionary fund, the name's discretionary fund, NDF, we call it. Um, and there's a lot of influence that that discretionary fund can have. And we like the idea of there being this collaboration on an industry level, even between competitors. Uh, like some collaborative attempts have happened in blockchain, we think this is a really neat one because we're not starting on the collaboration piece, we're starting on the utility of a marketplace and then allowing those in the marketplace to buy into various different types of activities. So yeah, that's a really exciting one long term for us is sure over the next 12 months, you know, we're launching the platform, we're growing these programs, fully collateralized to begin with, moving to leverage. That's a big part of our governance uh, framework. Um, launching the name token, you know, we've managed to get some very large insurance companies that have never held tokens before holding our token. And so that's a real, uh, you know, positive, exciting um, sort of claim uh, for us that we've managed to, you know, take these parties through that process. Uh, and, you know, just on the topic, our token is the first token that lots of VCs have held as well. That's a v so we're, we're sort of the first token uh, that, that they've held, which is another thing that makes us uh, proud. Um, and so, yeah, that Hollywood piece long term is really seeing the opening up of an insurance market and how do they work together as well as compete in a competitive environment. But collaboration is always part of that competition. Um, so, yeah, who knows? The sky's the limit and we're about to launch and put it to test.